You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing. What a great worship service. What powerful, powerful words. But I want you to remain standing. Take your Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And we're going to go back and beginning verse 1, but we'll be actually looking today starting at verse 5. But we'll go back and read verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Now, about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should, should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Remember, Paul would unite and, and, and net these churches together that were planted, such as Corinth, Ephesus, churches in Galatia. And what he would do, he would collect an offering. That offering would be taken to those that were in Jerusalem. A lot of Jews who had identified with Jesus had lost everything once they did that. So this collection was to help them. Now, Paul says in verse 3, Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Paul said, we're going to handle this with the highest integrity. Everybody look this way. One of the things that is critical in the body of Christ is that your gifts, your giving... Our, finance, our finances are handled with the highest level of integrity. And that's what we want to do. Now, today we're going to be looking at verse 5 and reading from there. Paul said, after I go through Macedonia, I will come to you. For I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and... I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has been opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you, and we give you all the glory for this service. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. There's a man in in the history of missions, a man by the name of William Carey. William Carey is often seen as the father of the modern missionary missionary movement. And I want to read to you an excerpt out of a commentary. This is John MacArthur's commentary on 1 Corinthians. He tells this story about this man named William Carey. While he was working as a cobbler in England, that tells you it was a long time ago. While he was working as a cobbler in England, William Carey was moved by the great spiritual needs of other parts of the world. He placed a world map in front of his workbench. And as he worked, he thought, he prayed, he wept about what needed to be done and how the Lord could use him to meet those needs. When he finally arrived in India, his first mission assignment, he was ready to begin the work. 
He not only was used directly to make outstanding contributions through teaching and preaching and translation and printing of Christian literature, but helped prepare the way for every missionary who has served there since. Because he prayed, planned, and prepared, he was ready when the opportunity came. We may only guess at the number of works the Lord has for his people to do, but for whom there are few with vision and readiness. In fact, our true willingness to work for the Lord can be measured by what we are doing. Listen to this. At the present to analyze needs and to prepare, even if we do not know exactly what or where the work might be. Did you understand that? Now here's Paul writing this letter to the church at Corinth that had all kinds of problems. And as he's writing this letter, he's coming to the close of this book called 1 Corinthians. He's bringing it to a conclusion. It it becomes very intimate. In fact, Paul would pack a lot, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul would pack a lot in the end of a letter. I was reading this in 55 AD, written from three years' stay in Ephesus. A delegation was sent to Corinth. Remember, this is a delegation that came from Corinth and came to Paul with a lot of questions concerning the problems there at the church of Corinth. They had real-life questions. John MacArthur says in his commentary that God, through Paul, spent 29 chapters correcting the church at Corinth. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of energy. That's a lot of your Bible and my Bible. 29 chapters spent in correcting the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth had problems. Division, immorality, drunkenness, false teaching on the resurrection. The church at Corinth had a lot of problems. So it took a lot of work. um, Henry Haley says this. He said this was the spring of 57 A.D., Before Pentecost, Paul spent the summer in Macedonia for where he wrote 2 Corinthians. He arrived in Corinth in the fall. He stayed there for the winter. He wrote the epistle to the Romans that winter and set out for Jerusalem the following spring. Now, everybody look this way. The first point is this. Paul was planning. Paul had a plan. And I think that's critical. You know, a lot of people, in fact, we need to say this. Planning is not a sin. Okay, let's say that together. Planning is not a sin. Planning, P-L-A-N-N-I-N-G. Planning is not a sin. I wrote this down. Why? Because we think that if I try, listen to this, to project a plan or a strategy or a future, that somehow that might interfere with God's plan or appear, listen to this, as if I'm trying to take control from God. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like sometimes it's unspiritual? It's almost a sin because you're trying to think about your future, what you're going to do, and you're trying to strategize, make plans. Brian Fioretti works in finances. And he sits down with a lot of people who are trying to plan, set aside, figure out their retirement. 
And I'm sure that sometimes Brian Fioretti has people who come in, sit down, who want financial counseling, and he want to look, look, he wants to look at them and say, hey, listen, it's a little late now. You should have been thinking about that years ago, planning, having a strategy. Paul here is planning. I want you to take your Bibles, turn left, and go back to the book of Proverbs. Just go all the way back into the Old Testament. Because planning is really, really important in the life of a believer. In Proverbs chapter 21, chapter 21, verse 5. We'll skip around a little bit in Proverbs. Proverbs 21, verse 5. If you have it, say amen. It says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. You know what the Bible says? Listen, even in the area of finances, even in the area of your life and my life, we need a plan. We need a strategy. We need to be thinking about the future. And that's important. You know, a little while ago I came in, our praise team, they were deeply animated and in a conversation, if not a debate, over the world and where the state of the world is and how things are so bad. And, you know, they were, they were going at it pretty heavy. And, you know, that's true. There are a lot of things that we can look at right now. We can say, you know, that's true. All of that is true. And and a lot of Christians start looking at the state of the world. And you know what the first thing they do? They quit planning. They think, well, you know, things are so bad. I just need to hang on for the ride. No, the Bible doesn't say that. You know, I was preaching in First Baptist Flora Wednesday night and was talking about parenting. And you've heard me say this. A lot of times people will say, you know, I don't know if I want to have children in this world that we're in right now. You know, things are so bad, I hate thinking about the thought of bringing children into this world. Some parents say, I wish I hadn't have brought children into the, this world so bad. Let me tell you, that's, a, that's an unbiblical, if there's a sin, that's a sin. First of all, God's the one that's behind bringing kids into the world. Every child is an inheritance, a gift that God's given you. He knows your child, listen, loves your child far more than you do. You think it's a bad time to be to bring a child in the world? Amram and Jochebed, you remember when they were weaving a basket? They were enslaved to Pharaoh and to Egypt. They were in a horrible time in the nation of Egypt, in the nation of Israel. It couldn't have been a worse time. Did they say, man, this is not the time to have a baby? No, the Bible said they had a baby. He was unusually a beautiful baby, the writer of Hebrews said. And Amram and Jochebed, they built a basket. They put that beautiful baby in that basket. And they pushed him out into the Nile River filled with crocodiles and hippos. And they just simply pushed him out into the providence and the sovereign plan of God for his life. And God did something great with it. You know, I was thinking a little while ago, Michael... Uh, Michael King, Michael King Sr. went to the to Europe and he viewed the Reformation, Martin Luther, and the great Reformation that swept across Europe. And Michael King, this great preacher, Billy Graham, said of this man, nobody could preach the cross like Dr. Michael King Michael King came home and he looked at his nine-year-old little boy and he said, who was named after him, he said, you will no longer be called Michael King and nor will I be called Michael King. 
I will be called Martin Luther King and you will be called Martin Luther King Jr. That dad had a plan. And he had a child born in 1929. And that child was being raised in the very critical time of the civil rights movement. He did not cower down. He brought that child into the world, he and his wife, and set before that child what I believe was the plan of God for his life. You see, planning is not a sin. Proverbs 21.5 says this again, we look at it. The plans of the diligent lead to profit. As surely as haste leads to poverty. Flip over to the left to 16. Proverbs 16 verse 9. Watch this. In his heart a man plans his course. But the Lord determines his steps. So the Bible makes it clear that planning is is important. Look at Proverbs. I think Proverbs 24 27. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 27. Listen to this. Finish your outdoor work and get your fields ready after that build your house. You may say, does that have to do with planning? I'll never forget. Willie, do you remember this? We were in an LTG. We were going through life transformation group. Willie's in, in the group. He and I, uh, WH, who's in the hospital. We want to pray for WH, who's at university. I want to pray for WH. And we had one other, maybe one or two others in there. Willie, I'll never forget. You asked me, you said, well, what does that mean? In other words, verse 27, finish your outdoor work, get your fields ready, and after that, build your house. And I said, what the writer of Proverbs was saying, if it was Solomon, the wisest man in the world, what Solomon was saying is, listen, while you got a chance and the weather's good, set your priorities right, get your fields ready, because that's how you make a living. That's how you live. That's your substance. You get your fields ready, and then later on, you'll have time to take care of your home. In other words, you plan, you prioritize. You know, think about it. Does God believe in planning? Look at Jeremiah. Take a right from Proverbs and go over to the book of Jeremiah. Go over there to Isaiah and Jeremiah right there before Ezekiel. Look at Jeremiah 29 verse 11. And for some of you, you don't even have to look at it. You know this verse. Are you going to know it when you see it? Does God plan? Look at what God says in Jeremiah 29 11. Watch this. For I know what? For I know the plans I have for who? I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Plans to prosper you and not to what? Harm you. Plans to give you what? A future, a hope and a future. In other words, let let me read that again. For I know, God says... He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. You see, even God plans. And planning is critical. And that's what Paul was doing here. Paul was planning. I I was reading uh, John Maxwell. Listen to what Maxwell said here. I thought it was good. Well, I tell you what, before we do that, look at 2 Corinthians 1, 15 and 16. Before I read that, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Watch what Paul said here. He said, because I was confident in this, I planned. Listen how many times Paul says plan. Now, this is his second letter. 
Because I was confident in this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? What Paul was saying, Paul was all about planning. And Paul said, listen, I didn't do this flippantly and lightly. It's the idea of you and I strategizing, getting before God. Listen to what John Maxwell said. He said, leaders who navigate do even more than control direction in which they and their people travel. Listen to what he said. He said, they see the whole trip in their minds before they leave the dock. They have a vision for the destination. They understand what it will take to get them there. They know who they'll need on the team to be successful. They recognize the obstacles before they appear on the horizon. Sometimes it's difficult balancing optimism and realism, intuition and planning, faith and fact. But that's what it takes to be an effective navigating leader. When you prepare well, you convey confidence and trust in the Lord. Say it with me. Planning. You know, there's an old statement that says if you fail to plan, you plan to what? You plan to fail. Believe you me, when Michael King Sr. went to trace the, the, the journey of Martin Luther and the Great Reformation, and was so moved by that, he came home not only for a plan for his life, but he came home for a plan for his nine-year-old little boy. He had no idea that the boy that he was looking at would be the civil rights leader, would go down in history, Nobel Prize winner, and would lead this nation in the world. We never know. For some parents, you're just lucky to get them up, get them ready, and get them to school. But how many of you have ever stopped to say, God, what is your plan? What is your purpose? What is your will for my child? You see, the Bible says, train up a child in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. You know what that means, train up? We've talked about it. It means to hedge in. It means that you have boundaries. It means that you have boundaries and you're pointing them toward Christ. We've got to get my Jesus back in here. I took him to Florida Wednesday night. And he's in the trunk of the car. That little silhouette we have of Jesus. I sure miss him over there. But as a parent, that's what it means. To train up means that you're putting boundaries. You're giving children boundaries. You're enforcing those boundaries. While all the while you're pointing them toward an intimate relationship with Christ. And listen, you're trying to figure out what their bent is. Their bent is God's purpose, God's plan, and what God's bending them toward. Does that make sense? You know, when I look at Emily here, Emily, uh, when I look at Emily, Emily's got two little girls, and you know them. Emma Grace and Sophie. Now, let me tell you, they're polar opposites. Somebody one day accidentally called uh, one of them by the other's name, and they said, well, they're probably a lot alike. I laughed. I said, they ain't nothing alike. They just like night, I mean, day and night. They're very different. 
Each of them have different personalities. Each personality is different. One's more introverted. One's more extroverted. One's more charismatic. One's more quiet. Both of them have different... Listen, God will bend them and use them. And it is Emily's responsibility to begin to try to say to God, God, listen, help me understand where you're bending them, what you've called them to do. I was telling them Wednesday night, Emily... Uh, and, and just real quickly, this story, because it just hit home so much Wednesday night. You could have heard a pin drop in this church, and it was full. But Sheila, and Sheila will vouch for this. I was talking about Emily. Before, when we were at the Missionary Learning Center, the woman who basically looks at children of missionaries to determine how they'll do academically whether you're going to homeschool, whether you're going to send them off to boarding school, whether you're going to teach them yourself, whether you're going to try to put them in a local school in Zimbabwe, Africa, where we were going. So they were trying to figure out. The woman made the statement in front of Emily and to Sheila, this child will probably never graduate from high school. And I'll tell you what, I'll never forget this Sheila cried. Sheila got home and Emily cried. And we all cried. And then you know what we did? We buckled down. We began to say, God, you've given us this child. And we don't believe nothing this woman is saying. We believe she's been gifted by you. And God, and so guess what? We walked her through junior high, walked her through high school, walked her through x-ray school, walked her through radiation therapy school, walked her through the test. That, and listen, all the while, we, had, we knew that God had a will and a purpose for her life. We didn't listen to the negativity of other people. We didn't listen to that. And I went on to tell them a story. She wasn't as a, at the cancer center very long at St. Dominic's till one day she had a young mother who had cancer. And that young mom, wife, and mother was put on that table in that moment and began to sob and cry. And you could hear that. And Emily said, I began to hear her sobbing and crying. She said, I stopped. I went around there. I climbed up on the table. I held that young mom. And I put my phone on worship music and I prayed for that mom and calmed her down. Amelia's that kind of child. There are just some children that are intuitive, sensitive. And the reality is, is that children are gifted. And you and I are in the process of, hey, we're developing a plan. And sometimes that plan, and you may, you may say, well, you know, sometimes plans don't work out. That's all right. Because Paul said, listen, ultimately God's sovereign and God's guiding that plan. But secondly, watch this plan's change. Look over there again in 1 Corinthians 16, 6. Watch, well, perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not. Yeah, hey, listen, Paul had this plan. Paul knew what he was going to do. But listen, it did not work out that way. And we see that in 2 Corinthians. What Paul had planned to do, his plans didn't work out. I remember when Sheila and I, we were going to Zimbabwe, Africa. Everything was set. We went to Richmond, Virginia. We were going to candidate conference. Uh, we were going to, they were going to do a psychological test, psychiatric test. I mean, they put you through the meal, sending, getting ready to send us to Africa. We walk into the hotel room. We're on our way. We're, no, we're not at that time on our way to Zimbabwe. We were on our way to Reunion Island, a French-speaking island in the Indian Ocean. We were to go to Tours, France for a year of language school learning French. Imagine your worship leader speaking French. 
all the kids speaking French. We were going to Reunion. We would be in France for a year, learn the language, then go to Reunion Island. We walked into the hotel room. There was a packet of material. We, I looked at Sheila and said, well, listen, look at here. They, get, they left a packet of material. We opened it and said, hey, Reunion Island's closed. It's changed. You're now going to Zimbabwe, Africa. What? But let me tell you the key. The child of God plans and strategizes, but the child of God is always sensitive to God's will and God's ability to change those plans. You see what, you see what Paul said in 2 Corinthians? Paul said, listen, I, I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia, to come back from through Macedonia, to send to, you to send he, Paul talks about all these plans. Verse 17, you know why he says, when I planned this, did I do it lightly? Everybody looked this way. You know why he said that? Because the people at Corinth were griping and saying, Paul, none of your plans worked out. Everything you said you were planning on doing, you didn't do. And you know what Paul said? That's right. Because my plans are always sensitive to the sovereign hand of a holy God who may change the plan. You know, that's powerful. One commentator stated, said it this way. While we ought to have vision and plan ahead about what we will be doing and how, we also must be flexible. Our plans should always be subject to the Lord's revision. Listen to what James, uh, James chapter 4 verse 15 says. Listen to what it says here. It says, well, let me, let me read it in the message James chapter 4, the message is a paraphrased, uh, kind of a paraphrased version of the Bible. It's in everyday English. It was written by Eugene Peterson. But listen to what the message says, James 4, 13, 14, and 15. And now I have a word for you who brashly announce, today at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business, make a lot of money. You don't know a thing about this, about tomorrow. You're nothing but a wisp of fog catching a brief bit of sun before disappearing. Instead, listen to what it says here. Instead, make it a habit to say, listen, if the master, the Lord Jesus Christ wills it, and I'm still alive, then I will do this or that. Did you hear that? You see, you and I make plans. We think, hey, listen, in parenting, for an example, for example, who does the Bible, does the Bible warn mom about parenting? No. Who does the Bible warn? Warns dad. Why? Because dads tend to be this authoritative figure that kind of wants to control children. You know, I told him Wednesday night, some dad goes, yeah, yeah, ain't no boy of mine going to play the piano. You got too good an arm, son, you can throw a ball. That's how you're going to get through college. I threw a ball and I got a scholarship and I went to college. And son, you can just get away from that keyboard and you quit listening to your mama and that music teacher. And you get over here and start throwing and practicing the football because that's how you're going to make it in, in life. You could play all the way into the, prob- probably into the pros. Well... Hey, you know what dad's doing? You know what dad's saying to that gifted kid who can play a piano and understands music at a depth and a level that's almost like a prodigy? You know what the dad's saying? I don't like you the way God made you and bent you. 
And you know what the, you know what Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter six, verse four, Paul said, fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. You know what that means? That means dad trying to control the life of their child is pushing their child in a way that's contrary to God's bent, God's call, God's purpose. Let me tell you one thing. It was tough for Michael King, for Michael King to watch what his son would have to go through. Sometimes God's will, God's purpose, God's plan. God may be taking your child right now through a journey, taking them down a road. You don't even want them on. You may be trying to rescue them. Listen, parent, sometimes you and I have to let go of those people that we love and say, God, I'm just giving him, giving her over to you. And God, whatever your will, what your plan is, God, is what is important, not mine. You know what Paul said in, in Colossians three fourteen. Uh, 15 through 18, he said, fathers, do not embitter your children against you. Do you know what that means once again? That means that if dad is not careful, dad will orchestrate his plan on the life of his child, and that child will be outside God's plan and his purpose. Well, what does that mean? Thirdly, and last point, what does that mean? It means that you and I, though we have a plan and we should, there's nothing wrong with that. We've got a plan. We've got a strategy. We're trying to figure out the future. But secondly, we're always sensitive to the fact that, God, my plan is always left up to your sovereign plan and will for my life and for the people that I love. At any point, God, you want to intervene? God, let me know, right? What did Jesus pray in Gethsemane? What did he pray in Gethsemane? Not my will, but thy will be done. God, not my plan, your plan. So thirdly, hey, listen, sometimes you and I are in limbo. We're in what I call the in-between time. Well, what do we do? Well, let me me read to you something I wrote here. And I kind of laugh when I wrote it. I hear some people, when it comes to the plan, purpose, God's will for their life, this is how some people talk. Listen to this. I hear some, they'll make this statement, when I finish school, then I'm going to do what God's called me to do. When I get that job, then I'm going to do what God's called me to do. When I make more money, when I marry, when the kids get in school, when the kids get out of school, when I pay off my car, when I pay off my home, when I pay off my condo, when I, when I retire from the business world, and I wrote down here, blah, blah, blah. And my favorite is when I get out of debt, I'm going to help people. My friend, if your heart's not moved to help people now while you're poor and impoverished, your heart's not going to be moved to help people when you got a lot of money. So don't expect God to give you anything. You see, Paul, I love this. You know, Paul didn't plan on being in prison. But you know what he was doing in prison? Even in the in-between time, and you know, one place, Paul spent two years in prison. Paul spent prison, he was in prison in Philippi. Do you know what Paul was doing in prison in Philippi? His plan had been totally interrupted. Everything had fallen apart. His plan had completely collapsed. And you know what he's, you know what he's doing? Him and Silas are in prison. They're not missionaries. They're not out there. They're not planning the next church. Everything, all the plan is falling apart. And you know what they're saying while their whole life is falling apart? All their plans, all their strategy? They're doing this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost. And you know what was happening? Listen. God sent an earthquake. God began to break that prison, let it come apart. And you know what the Bible says? The other prisoners were silent. You know, the, you know the jailer, you know what he did? He came and he was getting ready to take his life. Paul said, don't take your life. We're all here. Everything's fine. You know what the jailer did? The jailer took him home, cleaned up his wound, cleaned up the wounds of Silas. And you know what Paul was doing when his plans were falling apart? He was working and planning a church. Don't tell me you're called to ministry. Don't tell me you're called to do this or that if you're not busy doing it right now. In fact, the truth of the matter is the International Mission Board, let me tell you one of the things they require to be a foreign missionary. You know what they require? They require that you be doing the work right now. When Sheila and I were in Natchez, and you've heard this back in the 90s, Back in the 80s, this was back in the 80s. We were going through the fire over the race issue, going through the fire. They were trying to fire us from the church. I was a church planner, church developer, trying to be appointed and sent overseas. When we knew at that point we were going to Zimbabwe, everything had already been worked out. They were trying to fire me in the church so that the IMB, the International Mission Board, who could not appoint a missionary to be a church planner, church developer, if they were not actively at that moment in a church. So I had people that were so racist and filled with so much hate. They were trying to fire me so that I would not only be fired from the church and lose my income, I couldn't even go to Africa and be a missionary. The International Mission Board, Southern Baptist, the executive committee met. They talked about this had never happened before. They talked about our situation. They changed the policy and said, if that church fires him based on his stand on race relations, we will most assuredly appoint him to be a missionary to Zimbabwe because he's doing exactly what we want him to do in Zimbabwe. Let me tell you, some of us are waiting on God to do something. And the truth of the matter is, God is not going to do anything until you and I get busy where we are. And that's critical. John MacArthur said this, and I'll close in a moment. But he said, a young seminary student who was a dear friend to me discovered that because of an inoperable brain tumor he had from six months to perhaps two years to live. While a student at UCLA, he started a number of Bible studies which were remarkably successful, though he was battling a brain tumor. Students he discipled began leading other Bible studies, discipling other students. Some of those he led to the Lord went on to seminary, as he did. After learning of his illness, he continued to minister, working for the Lord in whatever ways he could. He had visions and plans for the future and missions, and though terminally ill, he never ceased to be faithful and thorough in the work he had at hand. He died before graduating from from seminary and was given his degree after his death. Today, his young widow has taken up her husband's desire for reaching a lost world and has gone to the mission field alone. You know what is said about a great man or a woman? They don't think about their life. They think about the work after they're gone. Going back to civil rights, the worst thing that ever happened to civil rights was the assassination 
of Martin Luther King Jr. Because he was driven by an ideology that was based on the word of God. There's a cost to be paid. And if you don't serve the Lord where you are right now in this moment, then chances are you never will. Shelby, Alan and Celia's daughter, who was here last week. At the end of the service, after everything kind of cleared out, I went back there and sat down here. Shelby, full scholarship, Duke University. Could be anything that she wants to be. One of the most brilliant minds in the entire country, if not the world. An extremely gifted young lady. And I constantly say, we need a pediatric cardiologist. And she says, I want to give my life in service to teaching in the inner cities. She said, I want to come back to Jackson. This is, listen, this girl is on a full scholarship to Duke University. This girl graduated two years early from the Columbus School for Science and Math. She is brilliant, one of the most brilliant minds. Saying, listen, her purpose, her plan, God's call on her life is to come back to this city and to plan her life in this city and teach in the Jackson Public Schools. But guess what? She's still got a ways to go. I asked Shelby, what are you, what are you doing this summer? Well, I'm going to be going up to Boston where I'll be writing my own curriculum. Think about that, 19 years old. Writing my own curriculum and serving in the inner city schools of the city of Boston. Not far from where she goes to Duke. You know what she's saying? I've got a plan, but while I'm, while I'm working, while that plan's being worked out, I want to be busy doing what God's called me to do. One of the things that I would say to Davion publicly, if there's a call of ministry on your life, then it will be proven by the fact that you will fill these pew, these chairs up with men and women and boys and girls and young people in this community. You'll be the front line of evangelism, reaching into this city and bringing people to Christ. Whatever God's will is for your life. You know, some people want an icing life. You know what an I I wrote this down, just made it up. An icing life. Now, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm not like a lot of people. I love icing on a cake. If you give me a cake with no icing, you've offended me. And I know I got a stint in a widow maker and I know I could drop dead at any moment. But may I drop dead with icing on my lips? I mean, I love icing. And German chocolate cake, listen, Sheila will tell you, don't give me, give me a piece that has a lot of icing. And if you don't do that, then what I do, I go back in there. And if Alicia, they're on their way back from Atlanta, if her and Leds are watching by live stream, Alicia, um, she knows that I'm going to go back in there and scoop out the icing that falls in the bunt cake in the middle. I scoop all that out and put it on my cake. I mean, I'm serious about my icing. Some people want an icing life. And by that, I mean, I don't want to go to the store. I don't want to pay for the ingredients. I don't want to have to come home and mix up the batter. I don't want to have to preheat the oven. I don't want to clean up the utensils. I, I don't want to have to take the cake out of the oven. I don't want to have to like, let the cake cool. I don't even want to ice the cake. I just want to eat your icing. Right? Winnie, that must have hit home with you. The question is this, and let me, let me and listen to this. Plan, there's nothing wrong with planning. 
But always be willing to allow God to revise your plan. And number three, you're not sitting and waiting for God to implement your plan. You're working while your plan is being worked out. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. And Lord, we thank you that the Bible says, and even Jeremiah said, that he has a plan for every one of us. Every child that's born, every baby that comes into this world has been strategically appointed by God. One writer made this statement. He said, when we look into the face of an infant, we see God's opinion that the world should go on. And may every parent in this room be encouraged. May they understand that God, uh, it's always a good time for God to send babies. It's always a good time for God to send children. It's always a good time for God to remind us that the plans and the future of the world and even for our lives are in his hand. Lord, may we quit seeing planning as a sin. May we realize, God, you've called us to sit down, to pray, to begin to grasp and understand what your plan, your purpose is for our future and for those that are tied to us, our marriage, our families. We pray, dear Lord, for more parents like Michael King. Michael King Sr., who Billy Graham said, he said, no man could preach on the cross like the father of Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm sure as he came home and he began to instill that plan into young Martin Luther King Jr.'s life, I'm, I'm sure that he realized there would be a high cost to that. But God, may we never be those that just plan to be safe. You've not called us to, to plan our life in such a way that it's safe. You've called us to plan our life in such a way that it's in, it's in keeping with your purpose and your plan. Always sensitive to the changes that may come. God, sometimes you're not calling us to change a plan. You're just simply calling us up the mountain like you did Abraham with a child or with something in her hand and to say, I just want to see if you're willing to give it up. God, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus. And right now, dear Lord, I pray, pray first of all for those that may not know you. May they understand that they're going through life. They may have a plan, but that plan will end in a horrible way on the other side of death. But may they understand that, God, you have a plan and you have a purpose. And that plan, that purpose is not only lived out in this life. When we're absent from the body and present with the Lord, that plan will continue into heaven. As Billy Graham said, heaven is a busy place. And I believe that. So, Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you, may they come and give their life to you today. If there's uh, others that may be here and they haven't been walking with you their life is out of will and out of god your plan your purpose for their life and they know that they've been walking in their own plans doing their own thing god may you bring them to the point of repentance may they return like the prodigal as he came back to the father lord may everything that you do in this invitation be for your glory 
And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.